Welcome back to He's a Giant, a pod about all things college football and all things Giants football. I'm Sal, here with my co-host Monty. What's going on, Monty? What's going on, Sal? I got uh, the West Virginia game on here in the background. They've got a two-point conversion, to, uh, bringing it uh, 32-35. Com- coming back. So unfocused. Yeah. <laughs> so unfocused. <laughs> hey, it's college football. It's related topics. I'm doing scouting right now. There you go. <laughs> there you go. West Virginia has been really good this year for people who are not paying attention. They lost their opening game against Penn State, and then they, have, they haven't lost since, right? Nope. Trust the climb, baby. Trust the climb. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The way you guys produce quarterbacks is a, is like a very roundabout way. Yeah. You uh you send them to the NFL, they suck for ten years, then they get a job, and then they're like good later. So yeah, Will Greer's gonna Gino's, be West Gino's Virginia Smith. or the Patriots next guy when Mac Jones gets benched. <laughs> right. And uh if that happens, I'm taking your I'm signing your quarterback and as a UDFA and I'm I'm stashing him until about twenty twenty eight. Yeah. <laughs> and waiting for him to yeah. hit. Exactly. All right, man. So this is uh for those of you following, thanks as always. Uh thanks for following us. You can follow us on apple itunes you can uh stream us on spotify you can watch us on youtube uh we appreciate all the support like subscribe anything you can to support it give us feedback uh you know how to find us on twitter by now i'm uh sal at, at queens underscore guy monty is at monte cristo at m-o-n-t-e-c-r-i-5-t-o um and as we head into our next episode, which is going to be running backs, uh, this particular episode, running backs, as we go down the list of our position groups, we have a lot to talk about. Um, but before we get there, there's some interesting news going on in the Giants, uh, in, in the world of the Giants. Not the best, uh, Daniel Jones. Um, we all saw another shellacking this past weekend, which I don't think anybody was surprised by against Miami. Uh, but Daniel Jones took a beating again behind a porous O-line. And towards the end of the game, uh, got hit and injured his neck again. And, you know, I think we all have kind of like that collective, like, oh, no, is it the same thing? Uh, the same thing that injured him in 2021. But by all accounts, it's not it's not maybe precisely the same injury he had, but similar. Yeah. We know that he had a cervical spine disc injury back then, and he had... From what it sounds like, he had developed something called spinal stenosis of the cervical spine due to the injury back then, uh, which is a nerve impingement. Um, not a not a minor thing. Uh, recovered from it, but he has something else, and he's been basically told by all the accounts, including what he said, that he needs clearance by physicians to take contact. Um, so, you know, what concerns me about this, and I want to get your thoughts, is a lot of the stuff they're saying and what Jones is saying sounds it sounds eerily like what was being said in 2021 after the neck injury when he got hurt against Philly where they said uh Jones can practice, he can throw the ball without pain, he's got strength, everything feels okay, but they're worried about contact. Yep. Uh and he need, and and it just sounds like the same thing which makes me think that without knowing, without obviously knowing any of the actual details it sure sounds like it's a similar injury. So it's it's a little bit frightening, to be honest. But what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, man, I'm I'm getting a lot of deja vu to 2021 with this, where, you know, you know, pretty much the first thing you heard after it was Brian Dable saying, like, like, I think he's good. I think he's going to play like, yeah. like we're fine. But I'm kind of sitting there like, look. You know, fool me twice. Like I, the, we heard all these types of things last time, where 
you know, I remember, you know, old Giants Twitter days, uh, great story with the carpenter. And, you know, I remember all the <laughs> yeah. beat reporters being like, you guys are idiots. Don't believe this guy. I'm a run on like, I'll have this guy on my podcast if 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 he's right. He's not right. And lo and behold, he was right. Everybody was saying like, no, he's fine. Don't worry. And he wasn't. And it yeah, worried, man. It's there is definitely something that seems to be going on, and I'll kind of believe when I see it. And this time, it's maybe it's a I don't even want to say a good thing, but he hasn't been practicing, so it's not like a false sense of security. It's just like they are giving him time, which you know maybe this will be more of a thing where he misses this week or the week after, and then he's good to go and he'll be back on like last time where it was just in like an indefinite amount of time. I don't, I really don't ha- know how to make, you know, head heads or tails of this whole situation. Yeah. Well, the Giants don't exactly help. I mean, they, they're not very forthcoming. I, I don't think any, I think anything Dave's can, I'm not, everybody's saying don't say Dave's <laughs> everything Dave is saying, um, you kind of have to just throw out the window. It's sort of useless. He'll just, he, he, he calls everybody day to day or like it, it's become almost comical how he describes injuries at this point. Um, so I don't, I don't think I take any of that seriously. I think here, here's what's concerning to me. Um, the nature of the injury was pretty severe last time. There's no doubt about that. Even if you don't have much understanding of the, the exact injury, it's the fact that it was a neck injury and they, they felt compelled to hold him out the remainder of the season. Uh, to allow him to recover, and there were rumors at the time, and I think reasonable rumors that this could be the, a career-threatening injury. Uh, neck injuries are no joke. I mean, you don't have to be an expert in in medicine to understand like what the implications are. Um, you're talking about injuries that relate to often your your spinal vertebra in the neck, um, the cervical spine, um, things that can affect nerve endings, uh, nerve roots that are coming out to the upper extremities, like your arms, your hands. Um, but also, you know, more concerning, it's very close to your spinal cord. And spinal cord injuries are obviously severe. Um, not to say that that's what he's got, but these are the kinds of concerns typically that, you know, people worry about with neck injuries. And so when they held him out for as long as they did, I think that had to be some of the concern. Um, and now you've got a similar injury and, you know, repeated injuries to this, you know, to the same area in general will increase your risk for deeper complications. I think that's the concern. I mean, Giant fans remember David Wilson, um, you know, we had just won the Super Bowl in 2011. We took him with a 32nd overall pick in the 2012 draft, electric running back out of UVA. Um, used to do those amazing backflips. Remember those things? Yep. And he, such a, he, has a, he was such a good, like, kick returner and such a dynamic electric player. Um, and then he developed the same thing. He developed a significant C-spine injury uh, and he had to retire. Like, right. I think he was like it towards the end of his rookie year, right. When he had to retire yep. or somewhere in the middle I think of the year. And it was his second just, year or something like that. Was it the second year? Yeah. yeah. I mean, but it was, it was, it was so sudden. Like it was like a significant injury to a C-spine and, and he was told, look, you're at risk for, long-term, you know, long-term injury, long-term neurologic debilitating injury, uh, presumably spinal cord injury, and he had to retire. Um, These are the kind of things that, you know, you start wondering about. Like, are we talking about something like this or are we just talking about a muscular thing? um, Hard to say. You know, we don't know. I don't want to speculate because we just don't know the full medicals. 
but it sounds like the original injury was one that involved a pretty significant injury to the to the cervical spine um and we might be dealing with something in the same area here um it it really go there's like so much at play here like one just from a health perspective i don't know what's going on but if if you're an advising typically these you know when you have injuries like this you go see a neurosurgeon um somebody who specializes in spinal surgery um in my experience i think when you talk to people in that world and they they meet with athletes with these areas they're usually very conservative and and they'll say look we'll try to give you the best estimate of risks and benefits of playing again uh, the, the potential hazards if you play again, that all depends on the individual person and how bad the injury is. But if you're talking about a young man at the end of the day, he's 26 years old. Um, and he's, this is a repeated injury to this, you know, what sounds like a C-spine again. I have a hard time seeing, you know, spinal surgeons looking Daniel Jones in the eye and saying, you're good. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're fine. There's like, it, it, again, it depends on the degree of the injury, but man, like, it sounds like the kind of thing where they might say, are you sure you want to keep going back out there? Because there's risk here, the, the more you get hit. And boy, does he get hit. Mm-hmm. Um, the combination of our O-line, which is horrendous, and his play style, which is, he definitely holds the ball a little bit too long um, in trying to make plays, and he has a tendency to just drop his shoulders and, and take hits. Uh, so, like, that combination, is it, to me, is pretty deadly. So... It's a dangerous kind of combo. I don't know what they're going to tell him, man. They they may just say to him, I mean, this this is this is harsh to say, but they may just say, "Hang it up." Yeah, like this is dangerous. You you know, you're a young man. You have your life in front of you. This is depending on how bad the injury is. It's not inconceivable at this point in my mind that a spinal surgeon will say to him, depending on how bad this injury is, like, uh, this is strike two on your spine hang it up. Do not go out there and risk another one that can create permanent damage to you for the rest of your life. Uh, so I, uh, that's scary to say, but I feel like that's something that has, at least has to be, at least has to be mentioned that that's a possibility that he may be hearing it ain't worth going out there and playing football again. Um, and I think we're going to find out over time. I don't think it's something the Giants will release right away, even if they know that today, um, even if they've been told that, even if they've been counseled that, that he should consider that it's not something I expect them to announce. I knowing how our organization works, they'll probably slowly, you know, ease into this information in the, in the general public. Um, but look, I think you're looking at for him, anything from one end of the spectrum where they're like, Hey, it's just a mild thing. No major structural issues here. You're good. Get out there and play which I don't, doesn't sound like that all, at all because he hasn't practiced all week and he hasn't been cleared for contact yet, yeah. right? So it certainly doesn't sound like it's that. All the way to the, you know, the more severe end, which is what I'm talking about, it's probably somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. You know, realistically, it's probably somewhere in between. But then you have to sort of do the whole, is this worth it for you? As, as an individual, is it worth it for you? As a team that's responsible for your stewardship, is it worth it for us to say, we want you to go out there and play given whatever percentage risk you may have to your spine? your spine, you know, your spinal cord. Yeah. Um, that's a decision from John Mara down, Joe Shane, Brian Dable. I hope they give this young man good counsel. And then of course, Daniel Jones himself has to make a decision. Is, am I, is it worth it? Um, it's one thing at, you know, when you haven't made the big, big contract to do it, especially with the first injury at 21 to come 2021 to come back. 
with all due respect, he's he's locked up eighty something million dollars, yeah. no matter what happens, and he's twenty six. So I, you know, there's a lot at play here. We don't really know, um, but from a team perspective, let's just say he's okay and he could come back. Where does that leave the Giants? Right? Yeah. You you're having a terrible season. Um, and I want to hear your thoughts. Like I, I just told you, like at least a little bit of like maybe the medical spectrum to consider and the possibilities, but from a team building perspective, given where the Giants are today, given what the draft outlooks are, how do you how would you approach this if you were Joe Shane Monty? I think you got to be cautious with this, man. I think you 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 look at that from so many different lenses, and I think every single lens tells me you got to be cautious with him because you know one you mentioned with the medical side and just this being you know Daniel Jones' life, and you know maybe this is something where he theoretically could come back this week and play, and then like, but you just want to be careful with it, or you know range like you said all the way to maybe this is a potential retirement discussion really it, that gets tricky so i would be careful with it. i mean this is a guy you spent a lot of money on and i know we have a lot of thoughts about you know where we should go next with Daniel jones aside from this whole neck injury but at this point he barring retirement he will be on this roster next year oh. and look, do you want to risk, I mean, just from a football sense, that you're paying a lot of money to a guy who's not going to be on your roster because you still have to pay out his, all his guaranteed money and lose him in a lost season in a lot of senses. I mean, we are verging on one in five. And at this point, there's nothing that's going to save the season. I mean, PFF ranked us the toughest remaining schedule left in the NFL. It, mm. I know there's a lot of pride to be had and all that stuff for this locker room. And I, I believe that fully, but I don't think running your franchise quarterback out there to get injured, potentially ruin his career behind potentially the worst offensive line this franchise ever has ever seen is the right answer. Yeah. I think I wouldn't bring back Daniel Jones until Andrew Thomas is back. And that's the minimum. That's my starting point. He's not stepping on the field until Andrew Thomas is stepping on the field. Once he's back, we can have that conversation. But I'm, I, I think I'm starting there. Yeah. What about you? I, and that may, be their, that may be their thought process. Like, we're not taking him out there until he's protected from Andrew Thomas. But, like, as we've seen on this line, the, the pressure comes from everywhere. And, like, and, and that's, the, that's the fear. So I think... I totally I, I get that sentiment, and I basically kind of agree with it. My concern is more for 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 uh, for Daniel Jones himself. Yeah. You know, it's just can he protect himself against any kind of it? Like you could be sitting behind like the 2017 Cowboys Hall of Fame line, and you know you can get a hit. It's football. You could get a pressure. You could get a blitz and take a nasty hit. The real risk is intrinsic, right? What's his level of safety? And I think that's we don't know the answer to that. Um, that's obviously something between him and his doctors. Um, but, you know, like, it's clear that at minimum there is some risk mm -hmm. that he will either not be able to play again or that he will be limited and at risk for more injury. I mean, you can't beat around the bush on this issue. He Forget the injury. He hasn't been, he hasn't been good. He, he's been a terrible quarterback this year. Yeah. 
um, ranked, you know, I posted a number, I usually post the numbers like once a week on, on Twitter, like the, the, the RBSDM updated numbers on advanced stats. He's bottom of the league. I mean, he's like somewhere between 26 and 30th in almost every metric, you know, EPA, uh, success rate, aggression percentage. Like he's, he's bottom tier and he's just having, I mean, it's not all his fault. Obviously we have a terrible line and football is not gameplay just, you know, on, on a spreadsheet. <laughs> this all feeds off each other, right? The, yeah. the performance of your teammates affects you, but he himself has performed very poorly. He was all, already sort of a questionable quarterback to bring back on the money he came back on. Now he's got like a recurrent injury. We're having a terrible season. The Giants look like they're headed towards a top five pick in the draft at this pace. How can you entrust the future of your organization to him? Let's be really blunt. Like, how do you approach this draft and not think to yourself, I, at the very minimum, I need an insurance policy on this guy, or I just need a new franchise quarterback, which I think is really where you should be going mm. with this. I need to have somebody in here who has like high, high level franchise quarterback upside in terms of draft prospect status. To me, this cements what we had been talking about for weeks, which is it's time to get a quarterback. It's time to get somebody and take a swing for the fences here on, a, on your own young quarterback to develop with Brian Dable. This injury to me just sort of, it, it hits at home. Like the, you cannot go in, in my opinion, you cannot go into the 2024 season without bringing that quarterback into the mix, whether it's round one or early round two, summer, but, but really more round one in my opinion, mm -hmm. but bringing in a guy who you think is eventually going to replace Daniel Jones. And look, best case scenario for the Giants and everybody involved here is if you go get that quarterback and Jones comes back and he's healthy in 2024 and they're both good, you have a good problem. Yeah. You really do. That's not a bad problem. That's a good problem to have two good quarterbacks. Then you can figure out what to do at that point, right? Then you can figure out, like, do you keep both? Do you trade one? Do you, you know, these are, that's a good place for, that's a healthy place for an organization to be. Um, but I, do, I think the worst place that it can be is they don't go for that top tier quarterback in this draft when they have an opportunity to. And then they find out that Daniel Jones is not healthy enough to compete next year. Where does that leave you? As an organization, you're now you're in absolute limbo and you've missed an opportunity during a really good quarterback draft class. And we're going to get to that, yeah. by the way, everybody who keeps asking me, we're getting to it. It's going to be our last position group, but it's, it's coming up. We're working our way there. Um, bottom line to me is this is just, you know, it's, it sounds harsh toward Daniel Jones, but hey, I mean, it's for the sake of the team and roster building. To me, this is the nail in the coffin in terms of you've got to go get a quarterback like right now, like in this draft, you need to go and you need to go early. Yeah, man. I mean, I think there's two ways to look at it. Like we kind of talked about, there's one from just looking through the lens of this season and what to do with him. And, you know, you know, you mentioned it with, he's not playing very well. So that's a whole other aspect of it is confidence is totally zapped. And I think honestly him getting off the field is something that honestly can benefit him at this point. But when he comes back is, are you not able to run him anymore because of this injury? Because Daniel Jones, without his rushing ability, is a totally different quarterback. And quite frankly, I don't know as a starting quarterback in the NFL without his rushing ability. Um, but yeah, and then you speak to it, the long-term vision of this. And look, I know we kind of just brushed it to the side, but it was always a risk when you signed da Daniel Jones to this big contract coming off of a 
well, it was rumored that there was a next surgery after that 2021 season and something that can totally derail your career. And they took that risk. And, you know, at this point, they got to hedge their bets because it popped up again. Not the bad play popped up again. The injury popped up again. Everything that could have gone wrong with that contract has gone wrong with that contract. And at this point in a loaded quarterback class, you have to, you have to take one. I don't, if they're, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. There's a lot of in-betweens on here. You're picking one or two. You're taking Kayla Williams or Drake may. That's just how how it goes. And if you're not picking one or two, you should be taking quarterback in this class. I can't tell you you have to take one in the first round. I think there's a lot needs to play out from that sense about who will be a top 10, top 15 first round pick. But trust me, everybody who's listening, there will be a lot of draftable quarterbacks, especially day two. There will be a good number of them. We need to take a quarterback in this class. Lots of quarterbacks. Lots and lots of really good quarterbacks coming out in this class. And when we say really good, I see people in the timeline arguing about things like, well, they're playing, you know, you don't know what they're going to look like in the NFL. They're playing against college. I'm like, well, yeah, of course. That's every college quarterback. You're talking about the the prospect, the talent, right? The, The projection. From a talent and projection perspective, when we get there, you guys will see. For I mean, most of you who are curious probably have started looking at it anyway. You might know, but we're talking in upwards of 20 quarterbacks who have draftable grades. Draftable grade is not a small thing. It's, it's actually a big deal to be a draftable grade. And, and I would say, just off the top of my head, 10 of those guys look like they have the potential to be NFL starting quarterbacks, it, which is a massive number, a massive number in any class. Um, so it, it's, it's insane how, how loaded this class is. Quick, quick pause right here. That was soul crushing. West Virginia scored essentially what I thought was a walk-off touchdown with about 10 seconds left to go in the game. And uh, Houston hit a Hail Mary to win it right just now. Oh. Houston won 41-39 after we set them up at the 50-yard line for celebrating in the end zone and getting a 15-yard penalty on the kickoff. That's tough. That's a tough loss. I don't know if I trust the crook climb, guys. (laughs) <laughs> oh no that's a tough one losing their former head coach Jamie Olgrinson. oh fuck all right I'm 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 focused on this now but yikes that was no you're not yeah I, you're lost we folks we've lost Monty <laughs> for the day it's over I can't be any more this is, broken this is, guys this is this is sadder this this is sadder than trying to record the day David Sills was cut <laughs> it's over for Monty I'm sorry um We'll miss you, man. Uh, but it's okay. <laughs> All right, refocus, refocus, reload, reload. See, this is why you don't need. Well, you're, it's your alma mater, but this is why, like, you've got to be a college football agnostic. Yeah. Because it's so much from my standpoint. Because I went to a small school. I don't have a college football like alma mater team that I watch every week like you would do. I enjoy it so much because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like I root for the players. I mean, for know, no and, dog and in that race, that's a great football game. I mean, two scores in the final like fifteen seconds of the game. That 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 is a, objectively a great college football game. Shades of Chiefs and Bills, yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, kind of. But all right. Um, <laughs> the, so you know, we'll get to the quarterback stuff, but it sort of leads into some more discussion about the Giants. I don't know. There's a lot of Giants talk, but this is some big stuff. Like this, this organization really is. We keep saying this. Joe Shane is at a crossroad. 
And how they manage this is going to tell us so much about how they view where they are and their own assessment of what's going on. From an outsider perspective, um, I think from an, a fair perspective, even as, as somebody who's a fan, the Giants are probably the worst team in the NFL. Sad to say. Uh, their record is 1-4. and four. Yes, they've had a lot of injuries. Yes, they've had a hard schedule. The schedule's not getting any easier. They have the worst DVOA uh, in the NFL as a team by a long shot. They have the worst point differential in the NFL by a long shot. Yep. This is you, – you have to be essentially delusional to take a look at what's gone on after five games and think to yourself that this team is going anywhere but right into the top five, top ten of the draft no matter what happens. And it's something you and I have harped on that the at some point you've got to recognize where you are. And as a GM, you hope Joe Shane pivots. I did not agree with running it back. For those who know me on Twitter, you guys all know that I'm a calm individual, uh, not chaotic at all, <laughs> as Monty said. Uh, but. Uh, but I was very vociferous that I thought running it back was a mistake. It wasn't that I had anything against Daniel Jones personally or Saquon Barkley personally or any of those guys personally. I, I, I think they're nice people. I think they have good individual traits. But to me, the collective team around these guys has been so bad. And the team was so desperately in need of just hitting the reset button and focusing on like the steady rebuild as opposed to maybe making mistakes that could derail them from the you know, that focus. Um, but I, I do understand some of the reasons they said, well, we just won a playoff game. We saw some of these guys really perform why we want to do it. I, I, I understand why they did it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. But I think as many of us have discussed, the caveat had to be I, that I understand why you're doing it. You want to take a look at what these guys can do and see if they can take the next step. When you add a guy like Waller, add a, like, add a guy like Hyatt, add some defensive depth. But if it's not working out, you need to be ready to pivot right back to full rebuild mode. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be like, well, I gave it a shot. It ain't working. I got to go back to what I was brought here to do a year and a half ago and rebuild this thing. And I really, we are, we are well past that point. We are beyond go, Joe Shane. We should be in rebuild mode again. We should not be sitting here wondering, can this team turn it around? They're not going to turn it around. Like It would take a miracle of all miracles. Now with your quarterback injured for how many games, right? Yeah. As, and, and Tyrod Taylor is a, a, a good, capable backup, but he's a backup. Andrew Thomas <laughs> you know, like, still I mean, not practicing. Right. What are we doing here? Where is this going? To me, we still have a lot of expiring veteran contracts, and some of them have real value on the open market. I think it's time that we start trading them. I, I really do. I think it's time that we get these guys off the feet, off the team. One to collect draft picks. Two to get other players a chance to play. You know, um, Saquon Barkley. I don't know if he can be traded with his injury, but I think if he shows that he's somewhat healthy in the next few weeks before the deadline, if somebody knocks on your door and says, "Look, some contender says I want Saquon Barkley. I'm going to give you something," you can hypothesize what that something is, whether it's a fourth round pick or something along those lines. Just take it because you're not going to get that back in a comp pick. And, and look, three, 
save some money. I mean, you can save about yeah. half the salaries of all these guys that you're trading away, and that money will be rolled over into this upcoming free agency. So if you want to use it, yeah. Um, or rolled over to the next year. Like you, right. you roll like up to like 20% of your salary cap or something like that. Leonard Williams. I know there are people who feel like he hasn't performed as well as he should given that given the person he plays next to, you know, that he should be more productive. And what he's paid to be. But objectively, correct. But objectively, he's been pretty solid since about week two. He's had a great pass rush win rate. Mm -hmm. He's been impactful in the passing game. He's been a very good run stopper. He's pretty much playing at Leonard Williams level, which is a top 15 defensive tackle. Doing Leonard Williams things. He's not showing up in the box score, but every advanced metric is saying he's doing a good job. And that matters to the rest of the NFL. I know fans, I know it drives fans nuts. It drives me nuts, but it's, it is what it is. He's impactful. It's just not in the form of sacks and, and being like a, a difference maker on defense. It's just being a very good player. He's a guy that on the open market might get a three year, you know, $55 million deal or three years, you know, close to $60 million deal. So maybe he's somebody like, like you and I've talked about, like he might be somebody where you say, I'll wait for the comp pick on this one because it's going to be a third round comp. Um, Agreed. Of course that's, that's for 2025. And if you don't cancel that. Exactly. So there was risk. So you, I mean, I think that's a guy you can dangle and say, if I can get a fourth round pick this year, Mm. probably take it. Yeah. But you're not going to let somebody give you a fifth foreign big dude like this guy's gonna get 18 plus million on the open market like i'll right. just get the comp pick you're not not doing that I mean, well like you mentioned a guy like saquon barkley as talented as he is and how much i really do think he had some trade value despite his position his position does affect how much he's gonna get in the open market and if he gets what he's not if he gets what jonathan what, taylor gets which i don't even think he will it's 14 a year. What's that? A, probably a fourth round comp pick. Maybe, maybe a fourth round comp. So we're talking about pick like 140 something yeah. in 2025. Uh, so you're, you know, again, like you got to get what you can for him. Uh, Jory Jackson, he's not had a good year, but they has to, they haven't playing in the slot. Um, he's a good corner. I think he's a respected corner and there's a lack of good corners in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I think there, you can actually get back some value for him. Um, and you can never have enough on the open world either. On a good team. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're not planning on bringing him back, and at this point, it doesn't seem like they are with any of these guys. Same thing. Can you get a fourth for Dory? Can you get a third for Dory? I don't know if you get it. That would. I mean, I think like you're in this range of like third round, fourth round pick for a lot of these guys. Can you get that and stack up on these picks? Um, so that's that's three guys right there, and then you've got other guys who have who probably have some value on the market. Darius Slayton. He's not a great receiver, but yeah, he's not. Slayton's not a great receiver, but he's a good receiver. He's a starter. I think he has. He's a starter. He's probably like a wide receiver three on a lot of teams, but he, but he's a vertical threat. He he has good speed. He has developed something of a of a route tree over the years, and he's useful. So somebody might give you something for him. Team certainly wanted him. Um, Paris Campbell, you mentioned, you know, he's, he's a guy that in the right system, like Kansas city or Bobby Skinner talking about that, you know, teams like that could probably use him. I mean, like, look, last um, year, that's a te- guy that we would have traded a six, seventh round pick for. We were desperate looking. Right. We been, we would have paid that for Paris Campbell. It just didn't come up. Right. Right. And then, you know, the, 
guys like Sterling Shepard, do they have any value? Guys like Cole Beasley, do they have any value? And you have to start looking at these things and, and, and see who can replace them on the roster. And before people say, well, who's going to play? Well, you're dumping all these people in their salaries. You're just going to bring in other people to fill their roster spot, yeah. to be totally honest, um, at bottom dollar value. Um, and then the big one is Darren Waller. Um, now, Darren Waller is under contract. There is no urgency to trade him. Yeah. If you can but get if somebody, it. Somebody needs a tight end. Um, doesn't look like Kansas City needs a tight end anymore. Nope. Uh, Kelsey's going completely bananas today. Uh, but <laughs> um, eight, eight looks like, what does he have, eight catches already? I Something see. Like I saw half at 100 yards, but then on the Western Virginia. He has, he has, eight, he has eight for 121 already, and he's, they're, they, they're in the middle of the fourth quarter. So, um, But some you know somebody says, look, I'm going to give you a third-round pick for Darren Waller. I think you take it. Yeah, you get, uh, get back you know, what you I, paid and you know hit 30 bills. You want to, but but if you want to keep Darren Waller for next year and see what happens, I think that's fine. Mm, I agree. But there are a lot of parts here that can help rebuild. Why are we saying trade these guys? One, accumulate draft picks. This is a good. The whole reason we do this pod is to to show, you know, show our our viewers and listeners that there's value in the draft, especially this upcoming draft. You can get a lot of these players we're talking about. A lot of these guys are going to be sitting there in the third and fourth round. You can start picking them up if you have these extra picks. Um, and I think, like I mentioned before. Joe Shane had took 11 players in the 2022 draft, and he's been roundly criticized for the performance of the majority of those players. They're beginning to show some signs of life, which some of these guys do. Cordell Flop looked pretty decent in its one game, but he looked decent against Miami. Wandel Robinson's looked really good since he's come back. Yeah. He looks very good. Um, even Evan Neal had a decent week last week. You know, he showed signs of life. Like, there's something there. Uh, Kevin Thibodeau is beginning to turn it around and, and play better. Is he is he the, the star we thought he would be yet? No, but he's showing some signs of life again. We know Bellinger is a good player, even though he's hurt right now. We know that Belton might have a role depending on the kind of defense we run. If you start moving these guys, you get these guys more playing time. You know, Eric Gray had that's a an important good week thing. this week. He, he had some really good runs. Right. I mean, you, you want to see what you've got in these guys so you can assess your talent. Just like you, we harp on, we haven't even gotten to it this week, and I want to get into the, our player profiles pretty quickly, but we want to get a, an O-line coach. We can't go a whole episode without talking about an O-line coach, you know? Yeah. Um, you want to see what you've got in the guys we have, the young players. I'm not someone, and I know this is where you and I degree, disagree, I'm not a big fan of bringing a guy like Lel Collins in, mainly because I don't know where we play him. Um, and because if he, he hasn't played anything but right tackle in seven years. So if you're bringing him in to play right tackle and you're giving up on the Evan Neal experiment, that doesn't sit well with me with Bobby Johnson still the only one coaching. Um, if I had Mike Munchak here saying, give up on the Evan Neal experiment, I would feel different yeah. about it. Um, but you know, if they're bringing in Collins to be a depth guard, that's different. We'll see what happens with that. But the point is, we have young players that need good coaching, and I do think I'd like to get We're – we're going to keep banging the drum – Googs is out there, Joe Shane. Go sign him. He's a consultant. And, he's a mercenary. And he has him in, and every connection to this team. He, he Bobby Johnson he's was his assistant here. offensive line coach. He's worked with Brian Dable on multiple uh, coaching staffs. He worked with Joe Shane in Miami. He's worked with Mark Golinski. He's worked with Andrew Thomas. Like it, everything about it. Just makes bring sense. him in. Just bring him in. It makes what doesn't make sense is that it hasn't happened yeah. yet. 
It really doesn't. Like, we're going out there and si looking and trying out every freaking veteran we can get our hands on to plug into this line that it looks dysfunctional as a whole. Do you really think Justin Pugh is going to come in and stabilize the line? That, that seems unlikely, right? It doesn't matter, like, how, if he's good or not. You're talking about players being plugged into an erroneous, like, an erroneous system. It's just, it's dysfunctional from, from one end to the other. The problem is not individual players, in my opinion, at this point. It's really the cohesive nature of this line and how it is, how it is prepared for games. Whether that's a, either they have 10 guys who simply can't play football or they've got a problem in how they're being trained to play football. And I think it's, it's, it's so statistically unlikely that it is all 10 guys just sucking at football at the same time versus maybe they're not being put in the right position now. That could be coaching. That could be the way their quarterback reads defenses and call plays. There's a lot of things that could play into this, right? It could obviously be the individuals and the talent that they have. That's not, obviously, we're not convinced that these guys are great. But I do still want to see another set of eyes look at these guys to see if we can develop them and find out what we've got going into this draft. So a lot of things that have to happen for this team. There's still a lot of football left. And maybe it's not football for the sake of winning it and getting into the playoffs. But there's a lot of football left, which at minimum should be an evaluation period for what you've got going into 2024. And let, I really hope the Giants don't waste much more time. Yep, They're probably not making any moves this week. But assuming they lose to Buffalo, which I don't know what, they, what the last line was. What are they, like 15-point underdogs or some nonsense like that? I mean, assuming they lose to Buffalo without Daniel Jones, um, they'll drop to 1-5. and five you know, how long are we going to wait before you start making moves that are forward looking? I think that's going to, that's a question that I wish our media would start asking Joe Shane. Uh, and I think they're beginning to a little bit, but they really need to start asking it harder, especially if they lose this game. Like what's, what's your vision of the remaining part of the season? What's your goal here? And I think we'd like to see some forward thinking approach here. Anyway, um, that took a while, yeah. a little more than half hour discussion on the giants, but I, I think there was a lot to go over there. Um, but do you want to get into our our running back review? Yep. So, yeah, I mean, let's get into it. Because, I mean, just like we're talking about, if we compile these picks and move a guy like Saquon Barkley, we're going to be looking at running backs in this draft. And luckily for us, you know, these top five guys aren't necessarily going to be taken, you know, first round. That's just not how the running back market works. And there's no Bijan Robinson or, um, you know, Jamar, Jameer Gibbs in this class. But there's a lot of running backs there really like a lot of good ones yeah really good ones yeah guys who are going to be somewhere between round two and round five you know i think that's where a lot of these good ones are going to land a hundred percent so um i'm going to pull up our first clip here and i'll introduce them here so uh we have a michigan running back to start off blake corm he's 5'8 213 pounds and he's going into his fourth year he's in his fourth year right now a lot of people thought he'd actually come out last year. He had an incredible year last year at uh, at Michigan where he was a unanimous All-American. He rushed for 1,461 yards, had 5.9 yards per carry, 18 touchdowns, and he uh, had a 96.2 PFF grade, a 96.2 run grade, and a 69.2 receiving grade. But... One of his really impressive things is uh, his missed tackles forced. That's one thing that really translates well to the NFL is if you can force tackles. And he had 
73 missed tackles forced, which is almost 0.3 missed tackles forced per attempt, which is a crazy number. Uh, he did had no drops last year and one fumble. He had 22 runs of 15 yards or more. So, um, yeah, that's what I have there for Blake Corum. Why don't you dive a little bit more into it there, Sal? Yeah, Blake is my guy. I love Blake Corum, man. Uh, to Shane, who has been a you know a loyal fan of our pod since we started, big Michigan guy. Uh, he and I have always talked about Blake, like going back to last year. I've been watching Blake since he was a freshman backing up Hassan Haskins in that um, in that Michigan team a couple of years ago that had Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo. Um, Blake Corum is the real deal, man. Like if you've been watching this kid's career, so he's from a little bit about him. He's from a town called Marshall, Virginia, um, which is in it's in a, a little hamlet about 40 miles outside of Washington. Um, I know people who know Blake Corum, um, because I'm a Virginian, I'm a New Yorker who's a transplanted Virginia, yeah. <laughs> transplanted New Yorker to Virginia, but, um, you know, and I, I think the people know him and they speak the world of him as a person. Um, this kid is just everything you want in a football player, man. Like he, you watch him every Sunday. He is worth, if you guys just want to turn on a college football game, just to watch a football player, just go off and just see amazing play. Like it's worth finding the mission game just so you can watch Blake Corum. He's undersized in terms of his height. Yep. You know, he's probably five, seven, um, Brugler has him listed at 5'7", 219. Um, and they have his like 40 time at 4.50. I've I've heard rumors that he can probably run closer to 4'3", um, you know, on the 40. I think we'll see how he tests. I don't I think he'll probably land in the mid, the mid 4.4 is more likely. And you know, what killed him last year at the end of the year was that was that knee injury. Yep. Um, and if you watched him a lot last year, the problem was that he got used a ton. Like man, they this was he was a workhorse for Michigan. Um he had, uh, let me look it up here, he had 247 carries in 12 games, which is a lot um, for a college kid. And and through six games this year, he's only got 83 carries. So, you know, it, it's a, his workload has been reduced quite a bit. And I think that's that's something that's probably by design to make sure that he stays healthy going into the, the latter part of the year in the draft. Blake Corm is the best running back in this class. Um, take his height out of it. He's built like a freaking Mack truck. The dude is powerful. And he uses his body like a damn battering ram. Like when he, he'll just bowl people over when he needs to, but that's not his game. His game is just vision. He gets the ball. He can see the whole field despite his size. Despite his height, he sees the whole field. He sees his block setting up. He lets them set up. He sets up defenders, which is amazing. Like you watch him, he's almost like a quarterback using his eyes, like, yep. like pulling linebackers on linemen. He sets them up in one direction, and then he does these incredibly quick jump cuts, boom, right into the running lane, and he's gone. And he bursts through these lanes. Like just watch these like these video clips. Like he just finds the running lanes, and then he explodes through them. And then like mid run, he'll like do start stops, accelerate, decelerate. His body control, his change of direction, his speed control. His drive, his pad level, his contact balance, all of this stuff is just, it just screams, screams top tier running back in the NFL. And I know there are people who have different opinions of him. Like some people think he's just like a high floor running back. I think this guy in the NFL is 
the kind of guy where at least for a four to five year window is going to be viewed as one of the top backs in in the NFL. Like he's just got the whole package. The only thing he doesn't have is his height. That's it. And does that matter? Yes, it does matter. You know, stride length, things like that. It matters. But I don't think it matters so much that it takes away from everything else that he just does so perfectly. If his medicals are clean, to me, this is a no-brainer, number one. Um, you mentioned a couple of things that that are worth harp talking about just right now because it matters for engaging running backs as we as we review them. Um, there are running backs who produce because they have a really good offensive line that, especially in college, could dominate lesser schools. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain traits that are individualized to the running back that I think are more projectable to how they'll perform you know, no matter what line they play behind, no matter what system they're in. Um, the two things that I think matter most are missed tackle rate. And as you mentioned, you know, he's at a 30% missed tackle rate. That's really good. Anything in like the, the mid-20s and up is considered really good as a percentage. Um, and the other thing is going to be the yards after contact. You know, how many yards can he generate after his initial contact? And so Blake was at about three and a half yards after contact. So again, he's averaging six yards a carry. He's getting three and a half of those yards on his own, right? So he's only getting two and a half yards from his line and three and a half on his own. That's yeah. one way to think about it. So he's doing the bulk of the work on his own. That's a really good ratio. Um, so he gets a lot of yards after contact. He he forces a lot of missed tackles. He does everything. I have nothing bad to say about Blake Corum. I, I think he's going to be an absolute stud. I would be thrilled absolutely through the roof thrilled if the Giants took Blake Corum because I think pairing him with a guy like Eric Gray who's more of a change of pace back who's more of a receiving back with this guy as like your workhorse would be really the foundation of a fantastic running game and the Giants have not invested in a fantastic running game they invested in a fantastic running back in Saquon Barkley you know, five years ago. But since then, they've neglected to build a fantastic running game around him, both in terms of line development and the the running back room. Eric Gray is not a player that I'm super thrilled about, but I'm much more thrilled about him if you have a guy like Blake Corm in the room ahead of him doing the bulk of the work. So that's what I got on him. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, and I just hope the kid stays healthy. He's already killing it this year. Um, Man, I'm, I'm going to follow his career wherever he goes, but I would love him on the, on the Giants. You have any other closing thoughts on Blake before we go on to the next guy? Yeah, I just want to touch on him a little bit. I mean, I think you nailed it with him. You, The way you see it, he he takes the handoff and, you know, he just reads what's in front of him. He presses the line and then he just cuts and, and finds a hole. And he just so consistently does it. You, you know, we see the exact same thing every single time he touches the ball. He's so successful with it. He's so patient and he's so sudden once he finds that line. But, you know, one thing about him, he just, he makes defenders look silly. Just like you mentioned, like the way he sets them up and how sudden and quick he is. I don't know if you guys ever used to watch this video back in the day, but there used to be like a youth football player went uh, viral, Cody Paul. Did you ever see that video back in the day? No. I'm, I'm sure some people who are listening have because it was super viral, but he was just this like this tiny kid who was playing like seventh grade, like youth football. And he was just making 
everybody fall. He was just like the shortest dude in the field, and he was just absolutely like juking everyone out of their shoes. And I get oh wait a minute, okay, I don't remember his name, but I remember the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gives he gives me a lot of those vibes, and he, you know he's so good. Um, he's good hands. You know he has he had like I said he had zero drops. Um. He's a decent pass protector from what I could tell. He's like nothing special, but he's reliable. Um, and then, you know, the story is all this time where he did make um, some. He wasn't on Brugler's uh, freak list, but they mentioned some some of his numbers on there. And of course, he had unrealistic numbers from Michigan, which maybe is true. But they somehow they always claim these three cone tines that are ridiculous. So what they claim for him is that he had a six three nine three cone time. the The highest three cone time by a running back ever is a six five zero. So they're saying that he's beating. He's the greatest ever. The the best three cone time ever in the history of the combine by like point one one seconds. So I mean, if that's true, he looks like it. I'm feeling wrong. He looks so sudden. It. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying. Like so, it can't. So you heard you hear what you heard what Harbaugh said about him, um, that he is the best running back he has ever coached, yeah. not named Frank yeah, Gore. Exactly. Which is insane. To, I mean, Frank Gore is a Hall of Famer, yeah. and he coached him when he was on like those those like near like just I won't say dynasty because they didn't win a Super Bowl, but damn, those Forty Nine er teams were good. Mm-hmm. And you know they would have won one if it wasn't for Eli Manning, um, but. Frank Gore was a beast and he's, he's basically putting on, on the tier with Frank Gore, yeah. which is, that says a lot. Um, so this guy's the real deal, man. <laughs> like he's, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Like people are going to doubt him because of his height, which I think is kind of, I understand it, but I think it's kind of nuts when you look at the total package of the player he is. And height um, isn't something that's like killed running backs and past. Like, I mean, we had guy, a guy like JK Dobbins, who's like this exact same height get drafted in like the second round. I don't know why they're killing him so much over it. Um, well, if you're, if you're five, if you're five, seven, one ninety, and you're built a little bit differently, I can, I get it. But at five, seven, basically two twenty, Yeah. Um, and built like he is where you're just like this, you're just this mass of like, like muscle. Um, and you're, you're using your, your, your body frame as like a powerful cinder block to go through people. I think it's less of an issue, you know, I really do. And it actually, in some ways it favors them. It makes it, it makes them hard to tackle, um, which we'll see with another one of the players we're going to go over later. But I think that's it on him, right? That's yeah, just, yeah. I think we're both huge fans. Huge fans. The only other thing I want to mention is the the other numbers they mentioned was a 389 20-yard shovel, which would be 98th percentile for running backs. And then they said he does 30 reps of 225 on the bench. So just some crazy strength he's, and agility numbers he's a he's a he's a beast matches up with he really is yeah um right. but yeah i'll pull up the video and why don't you uh you know bring us into our next guy. yeah so our number two guy on the list is has been described as similar to quorum in his play style but uh more of a prototypical size athlete it's uh trey benson from florida state um Six feet tall, 219 pounds, is a fourth-year player. He played two years at Oregon before transferring after the 20, before the 2022 season. I think in his freshman year, he had an injury. I believe it was an ACL um, at Oregon. ACL and, and that, MCL. That sort of, 
All right, that sort of derailed his career there. Um, and then he was replaced by another Oregon running back, which we may touch on a little bit later. Uh, but transfers to Florida State has an incredible year in 2022, um, at least from, a, from an efficiency standpoint. And he, let's go through some numbers. His PFF rushing grade was 91.3. So not quite as high as Blake Horn, but really elite numbers. Here's what really stands out. 79 missed force tackles. 79 missed force tackles in only 154 carries. That is a 51% missed tackle rate. We just told you that anything above 25% or so is really damn good. And Blake Corm's at about 30%. This dude is at 51% missed tackle rate, which is bananas. That is higher than B. John Robinson. Yeah. Like 10% higher than B. John Robinson. And, and to reminder, Corm uh, had 73 missed tackles on 248 carries. And he, we just said he was the best running back in the country. And this guy is 79 on just 154 carries. It, it's an insane stat. He has 4.53 yards after contact. I just told you, like, three yards. We want to see three yards, right? Like, that's really getting to, like, a really high, high level of performance three yards after contact 4.53 is insane this guy only averaged 6.4 yards per carry last year he had 990 yards on 154 carries and nine touchdowns so of those 6.4 yards four and a half of them were him the first two yards were his line um that's an insane ratio he had 558 breakaway yards so 56 percent of his yards were after contact um just kind of feeding into that same narrative uh he's he's gotten off to another another solid start this year in just six games i'll get in five games i'll give you his numbers as good as last year's numbers were 389 yards and 51 carries so he's averaging 7.6 yards per carry so far this year he has six touchdowns in five games he's absolutely beasting on that florida state team but those are the numbers i know you like this guy tell me your thoughts on benson money i love benson i mean you you went into it and the easiest way to describe him is he's a tackle breaker. I mean, that's what his game is. He breaks tackles. That's he is not somebody you are going to take down with an arm tackle. It's just not going to happen. He is keep in mind a six one running back, but he just bounces off people, dude. He's like he's like a pinball. He plays like these dudes who are like five eight like people he looks exactly like those guys when he's played but he's huge like i don't know how when they hit him low his legs just like bounce to the side and he keeps going like it it doesn't make any sense because he plays a little bit high but it his balance is so crazy it doesn't seem yeah. to matter that's just his style yeah um it's not a it's, it's not a deficiency yeah, yeah. He has, he has like a really thick build. So, I mean, he's somebody who can be a workhorse in the NFL. And I mean, as you mentioned with his stats, yeah, he had that ACL and MCL injury, which, you know, that's, that's some, you know, out of wear and tear, that's the tear, but you know, he does not had a lot of wear. He, he didn't play a lot his freshman year. He didn't get a ton of reps last year. Like, and then this is his final year and he's, He's going to come in with a ton of tread left on those tires. Um, he, he's he got a ton of lower body strength. I've seen him grind out yards. Um, I don't think he necessarily has the best long speed in the world. Um, and like I say, he's a bit of an upright runner, even though I don't think that always affects him. Uh, 
But overall, you know, I, I think he's an awesome player. Um, he had nine, nine reps out wide and nine reps in the slot last year. So uh, you know, I, I, I got those in. So that's pretty decent. One thing I wanted to mention just before we totally forget about it. One thing with Blake Quorum, he didn't play a lot out uh, wider in the slot last year. But when he was a freshman, he had 36 slots in the uh in the slot and 14 out wide so he used to be used as a receiver so that's just something to keep in mind as we talk about these guys that's a, that's a that's a michigan thing because they were just getting him on the field because hassan haskins was their workhorse exactly that year. so they and they were just they were just using him and they put actually donovan edwards in that role last year mm-hmm. that's a michigan thing exactly. you know like the, the feature back the feature back runs the next guy plays in the passing game so anyway that's just worth mentioning yeah so i'll me- i'll mention those those numbers as we go through this uh blake Corms is very high these nine and nine is very good um that's yeah, it's gonna be pretty on par with these guys so he definitely has receiving ability i wouldn't say he is a uh great receiver but like the, the guys who can the guys who cannot i'd say he can be a receiver so um what do you have on him yeah yeah you, you nailed it i mean the guys is he's all about like we said, the two metrics that matter, right? Yards after contact um, and missed tackle rate, you know? So basically getting at contact balance and the ability to produce despite getting contact, like those are individual traits. He absolutely blows everybody else out of the water on those metrics in this class. Like he's just, if from a projectability standpoint, he's probably the best projectable prospect in this class as a running back. If you're projecting those numbers to translate to the NFL, where you're not necessarily going to get great O-line play, as we're seeing, um, both on the Giants and across the NFL, um, this is a guy who can create on his own. He's, he, I wouldn't say he has this. He doesn't have the suddenness of Blake Corum, but what he has that's similar to Corum that I think really, really is in his favor is that he has the 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 anticipation part of it down. Like he's not at that level of Blake Corum. Like I described Blake Corum as a quarterback playing running back, right? The way he sets up defenders with his eyes and and basically creates his own running lanes. Um, Benson doesn't quite do that, but what he does is he allows his blocks to to settle. He lets the lanes naturally develop. He's not impatient. And he follows his, he follows his blocks, gets into those running lanes, and then takes off. And what he does have is, is he like a long speed guy? Not necessarily. And maybe he won't show that in the combine, but when you watch him on film, he has plenty of reps where he just has a way, maybe it's his stride length because he's a taller back, but he does accelerate away from guys in open space. Like you like there are plenty of reps where he's like running and he's got a safety chasing him and he's, he's putting distance between the two of them, um, which speaks to something. I mean, there's some speed factor there, even if it, if it doesn't look like he's as fast as some other people, but this is a three down back in the NFL. Um, I think Blake Corum's a three down back. I think this guy's a three down back. I don't think either one of them are elite receivers, but I think they're they're very reliable pass catchers out of the backfield. These are guys you don't take off the field except to give them a breather. Um, I have nothing else to add. I think I think he's going to be a really fantastic NFL player, uh, and he's already like I said, he's having a pretty fantastic campaign this year on that Florida State team, which is a lot of fun to watch right now, contending for a national title. Um, that's what I, all I have. Do you have any other thoughts before we move on to our next guy? Um, the one thing I want to say you mentioned about his missed tackle rate, which is crazy with a point point five one missed tackles per attempt. But just to you know talk about that historically, that is the highest missed tackle rate that PFF has ever recorded. So um, some wild stuff that that he did last. And it showed it. 
And it's not some like freak of like their analysts like <laughs> charting things as mistakes. Like you see it on the tape. Yep, and he absolutely will force mistakes. And I'm sure the rate is bound to go down because it's just unsustainable. But he's he's a freak, and it it, it absolutely shows up on the tape a hundred percent. Absolutely. Um. So we're going to number three now, right? Yep, going to number three. All right. So our number th- our number three guy is Braylon Allen out of Wisconsin. Uh, 6'2", 245 bruiser. He's actually played at 235 last year, and he got up to 245 this offseason, and he went from 11% body fat down to an 8% body fat. This guy is just a prototype as far as a, as far as a person. He is huge. He uh, was a four-star recruit. He's his third year here at Wisconsin. In the typical Wisconsin fashion, he's had a ton of success with uh, 1,242 yards rushing last year, um, 5.4 yards per carry, 11 rushing touchdowns, 104 receiving touchdowns, an 80.2 PFF grade, 81.1 running uh, grade, and he forced 51 missed tackles, and I was uh, point. 22 missed tackles per attempt. So right around that, that range you're looking for, um, you know, he's, he's had a thousand yards his freshman year, sophomore year, and he's on track to do it again here in his junior year. That's just what they do over at Wisconsin. Um, you know, just a couple other stats I'll uh, to mention here. He only had one fumble in 2022, um, but he did have four fumbles his rookie year, freshman year. So something to monitor. Moving forward, he had two drops last year, so um, you know, not not the best, but it wasn't a huge problem. I felt like um, fifteen carries of fifteen yards or more, um, six slot rep, reps, nine reps out wide, uh, and he. One last thing I'll say before I hand it off: he's he's the guy's a young player. He's nineteen years old right now. He actually left high school a year early, so. He is going to play his entire rookie year in the NFL at 20 years old, which is insane. So, uh, but yeah, that's all I had uh, for to start out with this. What do you got, Sal? Yeah, he's a Goliath. Yeah, uh, he's a big man. He's a big. You watch him, so he gives you shades of like you hear the comps of like the Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, even you know for Giant fans, like he's not quite as big, but Brandon Jacobs, you know that style of just big bruiser running back. It's a big man, much larger than most people playing the position. Uh, Brugler has him at six one and a, six one and three eighths or something like that, uh, or six one and seven eighths, some, something or other, just under six two, but two hundred and forty pounds, big dude. Um, couple of stats worth mentioning: his he had fifty one missed tackles. I don't. I might have missed it if you said this, but he had 51 missed tackles out of his 230 carries. So he had a 22% missed tackle rate, which is, it's good. It's not great. Mm-hmm. I was a little surprised by that for a guy of his stature. You would expect this guy to be knocking people over. Um, and his he only had 2.92 yards after contact, which is not great. Like, you would think he'd be in the mid-threes. Yeah. Um, now, there is a there is context to that, though. Mm-hmm. And the context is if you watch Big Ten football and you watch Wisconsin, they, no offense, Dan Schneier, but they are just an embarrassment of an offense. Um, year after year, um, 
they don't do he is the entire offense mm-hmm. he is the entire offense of wisconsin this guy faces eight man boxes or more 60 percent of the time he runs the ball insane. that's an insane number so basically wisconsin lines up and they give him the daniel jones treatment where everybody's coming downhill and they're and they're coming down just for braylon allen so i think you have to keep some of his numbers where you're like wow he should have more contact like yards after contact and better missed tackle percentage. Like if everybody's coming downhill on you, it does make that a little bit harder. And, I think. and to put um, that stat in the context as well, I heard that same stat. The only teams that faced more stacked boxes were the three yeah. service academies. That's fucking insane. Yeah, it, it's, that's an that's an indictment on the on the Wisconsin offense. Yeah. <laughs> like it really is. Um, like you can't do anything else but give the ball to Braylon Allen. Um, in any case. The the kid is talented. He's he, his his nickname is the man child. <laughs> so like he's he's a beast. And I think there there's always a role for a guy like this in the NFL. Is he a three down back? I think he is. At minimum, this guy's your big back, right? He's your bruiser back. He's more nimble than you would think for a guy his size. That when you watch him, he has pretty good footwork. He can get into space. He can use some agility. He can actually run away from people and one of his best qualities despite his size being like something that you're like kind of oogling at is he's actually pretty good at setting up runs also yeah. he's a very instinctive runner he sets up he sets up his blocks nicely he sees run run lanes open before they open mm-hmm. like he really he can he's instinctive and you know that to be that instinctive at his size is a significant advantage this is a guy with like a decent offensive line at bare minimum his floor to me is a guy comes into the NFL, he's an instinctive runner, you give him a good, you know, inside zone kind of scheme, and he just plows away for four and a half yards of carry. You know, just plows away for four or five yards every every down. There is a ton of value in a guy like that. Is he going to be a top-tier back? Does he have breakaway speed? Does he have some of those elite home run hitting like features that you look for? I don't know about that. But I think this guy is going to be a consistent performer in the NFL, like a very consistent, solid back. You know, people talk about Jonathan Taylor because of the school. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he has that level of athleticism, but I think he can be a very, very consistent back. And I think these are the kind of guys you you like, again, in your in your room. Um, I kind of like the Brandon Jacobs uh, thought process yep. with him. He's not he's not as big as Brandon, and I would never put anybody in Brandon's class. But I like the idea of having a guy like him to mix in with another another back who could maybe play the game a little bit differently because that again forms the foundation of a powerful room. So he has value. Um, I think he's, he's a day two pick like these other guys we've mentioned. They're all kind of like second round value, high second round. He's probably in the mid second round value, right? Um, I can see him going day sec- three, mid- four, mid- honestly. Really? Yeah. You think he'd fall that far? I think the, I think a lot of these big backs don't get a lot of respect in the NFL. I see him fall a lot. I don't know, but who knows, man? There's only, the NFL lets these running backs fall all the time, and there's a lot of them that I like. That's, so. Yeah. But that's kind of it. I mean, I think he's solid. I, and I, I think that if he didn't face six, eight-man boxes or nine-man boxes 60% of the time, you might see more explosive numbers out of him. Yeah. Uh, which might change the way he's viewed. So he he could be a value pick. Okay. That's that's a fair assessment of, especially if he starts falling. He could be a value pick. There's nothing that jumps off the screen in terms of athleticism, but he doesn't really need it. Mm-hmm. He's just he's instinctive and he's powerful. And I think those are very very good traits for a running back to have. So yeah, uh, I I agree with a lot of what you said there. Um, I think he's a 
a really physical running back that's clear by size and just, you know, watching him and, you know, play off what you said there. I, I think he does anticipate, you know, holes opening very well and, he, you know, and runs right through them as they're opening. I think he's got pretty good. He's pretty agile for his size. Like, um, you know, he's not as agile as the guys we mentioned beforehand, but I think he does have um, because agile. And I'll say that I think he's more athletic than he gets credit for. Sometimes I, I could see this guy testing off, off the charts come the combine. I, I, I know there's some questions about his long speed, but I don't know when I see that guy hit his max speed, I think he, he, he has some serious speed and he can really accelerate to it pretty quick. Um, you know, to the point we both talked about him accelerating through those holes. He his ten yard split was a one four nine reportedly, which is ninety fifth percentile. Wow. Um, yeah. he also the short area is very good. Yep. Um, at least short area. You know, you know, north and south. Um, wow. he has a four oh six power clean, and he benches three sixty five. So I mean, this guy okay. is a freak of nature. Um, the only things that I really kind of have as far as negatives for him. I definitely have more negatives for him than I have others. Um, I feel like he doesn't always play to his size. Um, he definitely uses his strength sometimes, but I definitely feel like I, I'm just like, just run that dude over. Like, what are you doing? Like that guy can't tackle you. And, um, you know, as agile as he is, he's not like a, make a miss in a phone booth type guy. Like he, he can, he can make an occasional play, but it's not something that he's going to do consistently. Um, and I don't think he's, he's that great in open space. I think, uh, he's really good at, you know, hitting a hole and, and shaking off people trying to tackle him and making a one cut type yeah. of thing. But if he's in space one-on-one, I, he, and I think that goes into, you know, those missed tackle rates and things like that. I don't think he makes those guys miss one-on-one situations usually enough. Um, but I do really like him, man. He he gives me, like, great value Derek Henry vibes. Like, he, he's got some, definitely a lot of Derek Henry to his game. Um, but uh, that that's all I have. Do you have anything else on him? No, I think he's performing well this year, very similarly. He's, he's a very steady back, so... Um, one to watch. I'm curious where he lands, but I, that's, I think we we pretty much wrapped it up with him. He's he's solid. Yeah, agreed. Um, you want to move on to number four here? Yeah, let's do it. So, so this is I'm going to introduce I'm going to introduce this guy, but but make no mistake about it, this is Monty's guy right here. So number four on our list uh, is a little bit of a different kind of a back here than what we've been discussing. This is this is Bucky Irving from Oregon. He is five foot ten, 195 pounds, third year player, four star recruit. Um, I'm going to go over some of his stats here. So he had a 91.1 PFF run blocking grade, um, run run blocking, rushing grade. Um, 67 forced missed tackles last year. 67 out of 157 cal- uh, carries. Again, 42 percent missed tackle rate. A bananas number. 4.36 yards after contact, a bananas number. 34 explosive runs defined as 10 plus yards. Ridiculous. And thir- he had 405 of his yards, 38.1% as breakaway percentage yards. Um, 
Actually, it must be higher than that. I'm sorry. It's got to be higher than that. Uh, but, it, you know, highly productive, 157 carries for 1064 yards last year, five touchdowns. This is in 13 games, 6.8 yards per carry. And again, 4.36 of those yards were after contact. This year so far in five games, these numbers are, I don't know if you saw them, but they're insane. In five games, he has 50 carries for 393 yards. He's averaging 7.9 yards per carry and already has four touchdowns in five games. So those are the, those are the introductory stats to Bucky Irving. What do you got on him? I love this guy. I went out and said on Twitter you know, a couple times now, this is my running back one. And I, I am definitely, you know, going back and forth with it, but I really think he has that type of potential. Obviously, um, the size is going to be the main gripe people are going to have with him. He is far from the prototypical size at, uh, you know, five ten, one ninety five. He's he's sub two hundred, but you know, sub what? So was Jameer Gibbs, who got drafted, you know, thirteenth yeah, overall. That's that's the comp. Yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot yeah. of Jameer Gibbs to his game, and he's no, he's a receiver like Gibbs. I mean, he had listen, like you know, we were saying like it was the highest number we've heard right now. I think is that it was about thirty two reps in the slot for Blake Corum, and everybody else spent about nine ten. This guy last year had fifty eight reps outside wide as a wide wide receiver. He had fifty eight reps and nineteen in the slot. They were using this guy as a wide receiver at at uh at Oregon. And man, he is just a fun player. He has all of the moves. Like a lot of these guys seem to have a signature move. He has everything. He has a spin move. He has a stiff arm. He has a juke. He has this like step back juke that he uses. He he sets these guys up. He's shifty. He's patient. He's got great feet. He's he's got that suddenness it's like we talked about with Blake Corum. Um, he's just insane in space, man. When you get him in space, nobody can touch him. He's like it's like he's playing flag football. Like he's not trying yeah. to like even have you touch him. He know who he reminds me a little bit of, like his tape. Uh, reminds me a little bit of like Tavon Austin when he was coming out of West Virginia. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. But but yeah, you know, he's bigger than oh, him. Oh, bigger, for sure, but his play style like yeah. and granted they use Tavon yeah. a lot as a running back at, at West Virginia. That's like he is just but so shifty. It's insane. He's in that mold. Yeah. He, Wandell Robinson. Mhm. Tavon Austin. All these guys who are sort of like are they running backs or are they small wide receivers? You know, and um and they're a little underweight to be traditional running backs, but they're a little undersized in terms of height to be wide receivers. They're in that in-between category. And the NFL has a place for these guys now. Yeah, they really do. These change of direction, quick, shifty guys. Uh, I agree with you. He He's in that mold, the Jameer Gibbs. Again, is he a feature back? No. Like, I don't think this is mm-hmm. a guy, in my opinion, that you're going to put back there and say run, run between the tackles 20 times a game. I you you may get him killed doing that in the NFL. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if he has the size to hold up. I could be wrong, but you know he's he looks really light. He looks really lean for that kind of a role, and I think he's an injury waiting to happen if you try to play him in that way. But if you use him all over the field, 
lining up in the backfield, like you said, lining up in the slot, lining up outside, you know, as a good receiver with a, with a varied game. He's the new generation of running backs in that way, right? Guys who are indispensable on the offense. Like you can, you don't know what's coming when they're on the field. The defense doesn't know if they're going to line up and take a handoff or they're going to line up and, and motion out into the slot or outside wide and, and run a full route tree. Like these guys are really valuable. So he's the, the, the word I described him is just fun. Yeah. He's a ton of fun to watch on, on tape. This guy is, is just great to watch. And I mean, his numbers are astounding. His tape is filled with like these crazy juke moves, like you said, and breakaway speed. His size is going to work against him. Mm. I don't know where he's going to land on draft day. I really don't know where he's going to land. And I think where he goes is going to be a testament to where the NFL starts viewing these guys, right? If they highly value him and guys like him now because of the Jameer Gibbs effect and, and these newer versions of athletic, you know, hybrid running back wide receivers, he'll go higher than I think we would anticipate. If he goes through traditional, like, you know, evaluation and, and draft scouting, I can see this guy falling to day three or at least late day two. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see, but fun player. You want to, you'd love to have a guy like this. Cause he, he would be like somebody just worth tuning in to watch on Sunday, just cause he's always going to, he's going to produce explosive plays for your team. Yeah. And I think that's, imp- that's, that's his value. Yeah. So the last couple of things I just want to touch on him, like, you know, he, as much as he is used as a receiver, he did have four drops last year for 11.8% drop rate. So that's really high drop rate. Um, you know, uh, same, same, same as they flowers. Yeah, I mean, it comes into when he got, he got the ball a lot more in these other running backs. Um, granted a lot of it was in the short game. They base his eight out was really low. I don't have it on me, but I was looking at it. So probably, you know, what I saw was a lot of screens. I didn't see him like necessarily as a route runner. So it's a little bit different than a guy like Jameer Gibbs, but I mean, I do think that he has that type of ability and, you know, he's so experienced lighting out and lighting in the slot. And I, I think that's the ideal guy the giants are looking for. I mean, if you just look at our history, the last couple of drafts, you look at James cook, who we had a ton of reported interest in when we ended up mm-hmm. going Wandell Robinson, I felt was kind of like almost their replacement for that. Like we can't get James cook. Let's get Wandell Robinson. Um, and then, this year, I personally, I heard rumors from a couple of people that I know who who know a little bit about the inside of the Giants that we were really interested in uh, Jameer Gibbs if he fell to us in the late first. So, um, you know, and it's right in there with that with that James Cook style. And I think, you know, Bucky Irving is that this year. And uh, that's who I would keep an eye on in this draft is guys who have that receiving ability. I think they want that new age running back that that we're talking about um so yeah man i love this guy yeah. i i could see him being a giant 100 percent. my my final thought on this is again i'm gonna focus on the things that matter bring it back to the missed tackle rate and the yards after contact these are elite numbers the 42 percent missed tackle rate and the 4.36 yards after contact are bananas now he's not going to do it the way like a bruiser might where he'll just bounce off these guys through with power you see how how, how tackles kind of just they just kind of miss because he jukes them they they touch his legs as he flies by you know and um it's he's not going to run through people but he actually will power through people a little bit more than you'd expect because he plays at such a low pad level so 
he is he's a really good player. Um, curious to see where he lands, but really a lot of fun. Yeah, I um, you you remind me. I think that's all I got on him. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have anything else. I just want to read off one last stat here, based off kind of a conversation we had. We mentioned, you know, Trey Benson and Buck Irving, who both have you know crazy missed tackle rates. I'm just going to read off the top guys since 2014 with missed tackle rates. Trey Benson, uh, 51%. Javante Williams, 48%. Travis Etienne, 44%. Jordan Mason, 44%. And Buck Irving, they had here at 43%. So there must be a certain way they calculate that. But that's that's insane. Those two are yeah. right in there with the greatest. And they were in the same time. room. Yep. They were in the same room in Oregon before, before Trey Benson transferred. Mm-hmm. Uh, crazy. Good talent coming out of Oregon. All right. Yeah, uh, let's go to our number five guy. Uh, and I think you're introducing our five of five. Yep. So let's go into our fifth guy. Um, and a lot, a guy that a lot of people might have higher than we have him listed here. And honestly, fair. So um, this isn't a guy we necessarily have to, like we felt we had to put in. It just was hard to rank him. So um, our last guy here is Travion Henderson. Um, out of Ohio State. He's 5'10, 212 pounds. He was a five star recruit. He was actually the number one running back recruit in his class. He's going to his third year. Um, so I'm about to go into his 2022 stats and I want to preface something. He had a foot injury, he had a, a broken bone in his foot, and it clearly um, you know, bothered him and really affected his stats. So you know, I'll say that as we go into this because his freshman year far exceeded this. We had 576 yards, 5.4 yards per carry, six touchdowns, 28 receiving yards, a receiving touchdown, 288 yards after contact, 14 missed tackles force, only 0.13 missed tackles force per attempt, six explosive runs of 15 yards or more, and a 73.9 PFF grade and a 78.7 run grade. Um, you know, you know, comparison real quick in his in his uh rookie year, he had 12 or freshman year, 1248 yards, 6.8 yards per carry, 15 touchdowns with an 81.4 PF gra- PFF grade and an 83.6 run grade. And that was as a true freshman. So obviously, you know, a huge difference there between those two years and you know, now we're going to try and do a junior year here and really trying to figure out who this guy is. And I think that's the that's a tricky part with Trayvon Henderson. So why don't you tell us what you think about him, Sal, and where where do you think he falls? There's so much controversy on where to put this guy. Um and to be totally honest, I think that if it wasn't for the fact that he's he's a running back one on the boards of several people that are out there. I'll be honest, I don't know if I would have put him in our top five. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because his production doesn't match the upside and the projection. And I think that's something that you have to at least take into account. Now, it could have been the foot injury, like you said. Like, he had a broken foot. It wasn't just a foot injury. He had a broken foot last year. So you can imagine, like, how hard it is to produce with a broken foot. Um, and his freshman year tape and his freshman production was really through the roof. He was like, uh, what was his face? The the cornerback from LSU, uh, Derek Stingley, mm-hmm. you know, who put on like this, this epic freshman tape and then the, had a foot injury, if I recall. Right. And, and then didn't, didn't produce after that until he was drafted. There is that risk that one, his injury may not 
go away in terms of affecting his game. You don't know, right? Or that you're underrating him because of production that he played through a broken foot. Um, that's going to be like the overarching issue with him all the way through the you know the draft process, like his medicals. Outside of that, if you just go by his freshman tape and some of the earlier tape this year, I mean, he's looking hopeful in 2023. He's not quite there yet, but he's getting better, closer to where he was as a freshman. He's kind of got it all. He's got really good size. He's 5'10", 215. He's built with like a low center of gravity. He's strong in the lower body. And he runs like a bowling ball. <laughs> like he, he gets, he start he he makes contact with defenders at the first level on the line like a bowling ball. Like he really bowls through people. And when he starts accelerating, he's almost impossible to bring down by, by linebackers and second level guys when he starts picking up speed. That's a really effective running back at the next level, right? You would expect this guy to have a huge uh, forced missed tackle rate. You would expect this guy to have a lot of yards after contact, just his running style and his natural gifts. Uh, and then you see on tape, there are plays where he just runs away from guys. Like he just like finds a running lane and he accelerates away. So he kind of has all the stuff. Like if I think if his foot is healthy, this is a guy who could probably blow up the combine mm-hmm. and test like really well. Um, and he's showcased like some elite level talent as a freshman on that Ohio State team. Um, but again, I think he's got to show it again this year at that level. And I think teams have to, it's all about the medicals with him. Like if his foot is fine and he can test at an elite level and he puts on a really good year of production at Ohio State, he could go as high as like running back one in this class. But if if any of those things don't happen, you could really see this guy falling. Like falling, day three falling. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so I, I, so he, this is the guy with like the biggest the biggest spectrum of possibilities in my opinion on this, in this class. I agree. Um, that's kind of it. Yeah. You know, do you have any other thoughts on him? Yeah. I mean, he, he's a good player. He's a, he's a really natural looking running back. He looks like he was kind of born to play the position. He does everything really well and, and looks, looks in place doing it. Um, with that said, I, I don't, I'm not as high on his freshman near tape as everyone seems to be don't me wrong it was incredible tape for a freshman running back for a true freshman running back it's really insane but i hear it talked about kind of like the way you just said it where it's like almost comparisons like a Derek stanley where in that guy's case he was like one of the best one of the best cornerbacks ever yeah yeah it, yeah it's one yeah. of the best seasons by a cornerback ever as a freshman they're talking about that almost sure. the way as trayvon henderson to me, if Trayvon Henderson's seasons are reversed and he has his freshman year and his sophomore year and then, you know, doesn't play a lot as a freshman, whatever, like he's still probably my number three on my board. I'd still probably wouldn't put him over uh over either either of the guys we had a top two, um, between Benson and Corum. I think he's a really good player. He reminds me a lot of those guys when he's at his best. Like, um, you know, he's 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 a little bit different because he has that breakaway speed and you know when he when he finds a gap he's kind of like he's shot out of a cannon um you know he runs really low but he doesn't quite have the the balance of those guys he doesn't quite have the vision of those guys i feel like he will try to bounce it outside and make the big play when when he doesn't have to um you know he's he but it was he was i don't want to kill him he was a freshman like that's that's what happens yeah. with freshmen. They they make that next step. And they mature, and there's just like the new, a little nuances of being experienced running back. And 
I need to see it this year. I need to see him with experience and with the athleticism he's missed. And I'm not going to fall in love with him until I see those things together. Cause at this point, it's still a projection for me. Um, he is probably not in my top five, but I understand why people have them. Yeah. You, you kind of have to put him there, even though there are some other people that I thought are more, are more worthy of our list, but I think you have to mention them as a top five prospect. Agreed. Um, but I think that's all I have on him. Uh, I just wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit, but he's a good player, man. Nope, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's recap our top five. So we had Blake Corn from Michigan, number one. We had Trey Benson from Florida State, number two. Braylon Allen from Wisconsin, number three. Bucky Irving from Oregon, number four. And Travion Henderson from OSU, D, Ohio State University, at number five. Um, we have, as always, we have two guys that we are, have as our my guys. Um, and I think when you get into this, part of it is bias because each of us just picks our guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is like the bigger overarching issue for the Giants, which is we need to find a running back in this class that fits, you know, a certain part of the running back room because there's better than average chance Saquon Barkley is playing his final year as a Giant. So we need to find the right guy to, to, to mix in. So along those lines, my guy um, is the other Michigan running back. Another shout out to our buddy Shane. So my guy is Donovan Edwards from Michigan. Um, six feet tall, two hundred and five pounds. He ran a four. He has a a supposed four five forty. I think it's faster. Um, he's a thir- he's a third year player, five star athlete, five star recruit, uh, coming out of high school last year in twenty twenty two. Had an eighty seven point three PFF rushing grade. He had 31 missed tackles forced, which was 22% missed tackle rate in not in 140 carries. So he had 991 yards and 140 carries, seven touchdowns. He was averaging 7.1 yards per carry. Um, he had 19 explosive runs of 10 yards or greater. 526 of his yards were breakaway yards, 53.1%. And he was averaging 3.71 yards after contact. So he's hitting all the metrics. He's over 20% on the missed tackle rate he's got well over three yards after contact um what i'll say about donovan edwards is there is there's two things one for whatever reason his production this year has fallen off a map and i'm not entirely sure why that is um you know he's just not he's only got 51 carries and 177 yards in those 51 carries for three and a half yards per carry this year no touchdowns in six games um, I'm not as plugged in with Michigan as like our, you know, as our buddy Shane and others might be. So maybe they can help explain this to us. I don't know if he's dealing with an injury or if there's something about the offensive design this year that's a little bit different and not catered to him. Um, if he's healthy, though, I think you almost have to take it with a grain of salt because what you saw on tape in his in his th- second year last year, and what you know about him as an athlete is something that should be greatly desired in the NFL. Yep. This is an elite athlete. He is explosive, explosive, explosive. This is the prototypical home run hitter. This is your guy that maybe he's not as good a quote as a pure running back as some of the other guys. Like I think he leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of, you know, being patient, waiting for his blocks to to form and his run lanes to be generated. He's a little antsy. He wants to get going with the ball. But when he finds a running lane, he is so damn explosive and fast. 
that he can gear up very quickly, like in small spaces. Once he gets his, gets some room to move, he can make all sorts of moves really quickly and take off, and he's like shot out of a cannon. And he can just keep accelerating. He has like next-level NFL gear, right, in terms of speed. And he's just a freak athlete. He's a complete game wrecker in that way. Uh, as, as an upside player and i you know um he doesn't do great with with breaking tackles in terms of breaking them with power like he's not going to run through you like he's not going to take on a, a tackle with the legs and run through it with power what he does is he runs around guys to evade them mm-hmm. like as tacklers approach him he uses athleticism to get around them uh so there is you know again i don't think he's like a classic you know three down bruiser type running back but Again, we talk about the modern NFL and how they use these guys. Here's where his real value is. He is an outstanding threat in the passing game. Michigan lines him up all over the place as a pass receiver in the slot, outside. You see him running like a pretty extensive route tree. You know, we have arguments with our friends uh, who are big Saquon Barkley truthers. (laughs) Sorry, guys. But argue about his value as a running, as a passing uh, game threat. And I agree. Saquon Barkley has the athletic profile to be a guy who runs like a more complete route tree and be used that way. He just hasn't been used that way. I don't know if that's him or that's the coaching staff that he's worked with. But with Donovan Edwards, you already see it. Yeah. Like you see a guy who, who, who who runs a wide variety of wide receiver routes. Um, and, so you can line him up all over the field, and he's a very good route runner. He He's a very reliable pass catcher. He's explosive once he has the ball in his hands. This is a guy you want to actually, like the way we talk about some certain wide receivers, like a guy like Corley and whatnot, you want to get this guy in space. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to get him in space because once he has a little bit of running lane, he takes off, and he can break open plays and produce explosive plays. He's not going to be a consistent four or five yard, like the way we describe, like, you know, Braylon Allen types, right? Like those guys are your... Give him the ball, boom, four or five yards, push forward, right? Keep moving, plow ahead. Edwards is a guy who's going to be frustrating if you try to use him that way. If you try to use him like a running back where he's, you try to give him the ball a lot, on a, as you hand the ball off to him 20 times a game, he's going to have several carries where he loses yardage or gets like zero to no, get like very minimal gain. But then he'll break one off for 60. He'll break one off for 70. Like he's just that kind of player. And then you can use him in the passing game when he takes off. So to me, again, this is a very useful player at the next level. He's probably a better NFL player than he is a college player um, is the way I would look at it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my thoughts. Do you have any thoughts on on, on uh, Edwards? Yeah. I mean, just what you said. I'm a little bit worried about his tape this year, but uh, I'm he excites me. I think very much like Bucky Irving. I could see him being a good fit for what the Giants look for. He gives me some of that Jameer Gibbs vibes. Um, you know, he doesn't break tackles like guy like like Gibbs or Bucky Irvin does, but he, he, he doesn't touch. He doesn't get touched. He's such an athlete that he, he can make a cut and keep the exact same speed that he had when he was running straight and will never get let people get their hands on him. He's a really good player. I'm definitely a fan. Uh, but yeah, I think you, I think you nailed it on him. So we can go ahead and uh, move on to our last guy here. All right. All right. So our final, my guy, your guy. Yep. So we'll go ahead and go my guy and, um, you know, shout out one T for this one. Cause me and one T have been messaging <laughs> about him. Um, and my guy is, he'll be so happy. Yeah, he will be. I couldn't <laughs> leave him out. I had, I had to get it for our guy. One T Audric estimate, um, out of Notre Dame running back five eleven, 
227 pounds. He was a four-star recruit, and he's going to his third year. He actually is a New Jersey native. Um, so, you know, maybe he can come home. He he was, uh, you know, New Jersey football player of the year in high school. He uh, In his 2022 season, he had a good year. Um, I'll go through the stats a little bit. He had 906 rushing yards, 5.8 yards per carry, 11 uh, touchdowns, 41 missed tackles force for 0.26 missed tackles uh, per attempt. So like right in that range. Um, and then 569 yards after contact, which is uh, 3.65. So, you know, more than half of his, uh, his average there. He had uh, 11 15 yard runs. So explosive runs there, 84.2 PFF grade, 86 5 rushing grade and uh he did have three fumbles so that is something to keep in mind there has been a little bit of fumbling issue there he also had 15 reps in the slot and three reps wide so before i get into a little bit more what i like about his game one thing i wanted to mention was the reason he's on that list all those numbers sound great they honestly stack up with what we've seen with these other guys very impressive but this year is where he's put himself on this on the map. He has been potentially college's best running back this year, at least draft eligible. Yeah. Um, there's a couple guys who are not draft eligible who are good, but um, aside from that, uh, going to that will be he has so far on 104 carries, 692 yards for 6.7 yards per carry, seven touchdowns, one fumble, popping up again a little bit, 89 PFF grade. 88.8 run grade and he is having he has 38 missed tackles force which is 0.36 uh missed tackles force per attempt and 4.3 yards after contact per attempt so he is having a really good year he's already has 19 um 10 plus yards carries but to talk a little bit more about him outside the stats, that's kind of going a little bit because this where he's really on this list because he's what he's done this year. And he's a physical running back. When you look at his frame, it's totally filled out, man. I mean, he again is just a specimen, but he is like a total, total built out frame. He's a beast. Um and he has really good balance. I think he has some good moves to his game. I see a spin move that he's using with, you know, with that size to get off of people. He has, he's, I see him as, you know, like a one cut runner where he can really take that one cut and he has a ton of burst and strength come by it. And he's not easy to, uh, uh, bring down. He, although he has that burst, he doesn't necessarily have the long speed. I did see him get caught up to on a couple of times, but he is a North South runner, man. I don't see him trying to do, you know, the silly stuff. These big guys do Braylon Allen was guilty of it here and there where they really just try to be more than what they are and, and break it outside. He's a guy who gets the ball. He finds a lane to cut forward and he just takes it and he will shake people off and, you know, keep on running. Uh, you know, he does again run a little bit high for me. I've seen that with some of these bigger guys. Um, you know, it hasn't been too much of a problem, but in the NFL, I could see that um, happening to him. Uh, let's see what else he he has pretty good hands. When I was watching him, he made some some good catches. So um, 
I definitely think that's something that he can continue to bring to the NFL. Uh, he, he's a good player, man. I think he is somebody who's really risen his draft stock this year. And I think he's a guy that Giants fans would love based, you know, based off of that physical run style that I think a lot of fans have been dying to have for a long time. And now they just want guys who are going to get those tough yardage and just, you know, being a New Jersey guy. And I think, I think it'd be a really cool, cool story to bring him home and, you know, add him to this running back room. Be a really good committee guy to add in. But uh, yeah, that's my guy. Uh, and uh, that's again, Audric Estime. So I know your name. Yep. Yeah. All I'll add to that is, he gives me. Um, he doesn't dance. He he's he's a workhorse. He's a blue collar runner. Right. He gets the ball. Sees a, sees a lane. Powers through it. Um, maybe this is a terribly lazy comparison because of the, because of the helmet, but he's, his performance this year is giving me like, kind of like, you know, kind of Kirkland, Kirkland Costco version, Jerome Bettis. Okay. Right? There you like, go. like just cause the bus, you know, if you remember him in college, I don't know if you were, I don't know if you were old enough to remember him in college, but Oh, uh, he he was fun to watch in college, man. He just he was I mean, obviously he was a monster of a human being, but he would just take the ball and just plow through people. Like he wasn't like a dancer at all. Just, just and he was much more athletic than you would expect for somebody in size. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he was a north south runner, which is what he did at Pittsburgh too, right? Yeah. So um this this guy is just a power back and you, there's nothing to really project with him. It'll translate. Yeah, I agree. So I'm curious where he goes in the draft. I, I don't know if he goes. Uh, I think he's probably like, can he get up into the second round? Um, he, I just, is he going to be like the Zach? Is he the Zach Charbonnet of this class? Right? Is he going to creep into the to that territory, or is this guy who's going to stay in the third round territory? Yeah, man. I don't know. I feel a lot of these running backs just end up going like third to fifth. Three. So like, yeah, I yeah. think he might go. I think he might be an early day three guy. Um, you know, to to just mention on this, and granted. I don't know how Brugler might rank positional value into this. I feel like he does, tries not to, but uh, he only had two running backs on his uh, top 50 list. And both Michigan guys, he had Donovan Edwards at 46 and Blake Corum at 50. Yep. So, um, yeah, only I mean, guys. I, I, it, tells you, it tells you what the NFL is looking for um, and how they value these guys. So, yeah, I mean, they're good players, but, man, the running back value is just... Yep. But in so many ways. And these are just good players. Anyway, that's our seven guys. Um, so there's running back. That's our, uh, that's our, another position group down. That's seven down, four to go, folks. Getting there, guys. The countdown is on. Right. So here's what we have planned for you guys tight end. And then after that, we got safeties and cornerback in some order. And then we're going to round it out with the one everybody wants at this point, which is quarterback. We're saving that for last, but we're getting there. Um, but we got, a, again, another strong group. Like last week, the uh, the uh, off-ball linebacker, eh. But we're right back to really, really strong players and a good deep draft in, in, in this position group with running back. Um, let's round this out, as we always do. Um, week seven of college football you know, has started. It's underway. There are some good games on the schedule. <laughs> i appreciate i appreciate you manning up enough to like get through this and suck me up because I, i'm not brutal. crying in the corner yeah you can go cry later yeah, I will. 
<laughs> you can go fight with some people in the timeline. Yeah. Um, I'll take it out. I'll take it out <laughs> in Daniel Jones, uh, cultus. <laughs> By the way, you need to stop blaming me for that. Monty has gotten a terrible habit of fighting people in the timeline and blaming me. I cannot be held responsible for your terrible behavior. I, I'm responsible for my terrible behavior, not yours. Not a, I refuse to take responsibility. Anyway, let's let's talk about some fun games coming up. So you had mentioned uh, you had mentioned. Washington, Oregon, right? That's a three thirty game on Saturday. Yeah, that's the big. One. That's the uh, one. Oregon's watch. eight seed. Yeah, that's the one. If you guys can watch one game this weekend, this is the game. Oregon is the eight seed. Washington is the seven seed. This is the battle for for Pac ten supremacy for the time being, um, until USC gets to say something about it, which I don't think they will have much to say about it. But that's a discussion for another day. Um, but man, this game is chock full of prospects, man. Right. So we've talked about some of them. The, on the Washington side, Romo Dunes, uh, McMillan, the other wide receiver. They have some guys coming out next year. Bernard, um, really good prospect. Troy Fountaineau, the left mm-hmm. tackle in Washington. And obviously the biggest of the batch. We haven't gotten him yet, but you should know by now if you watch college football, Michael Penix Jr., the the wide receiver at uh, – excuse me, the quarterback at, at uh, Washington, who is quickly emerging as a strong competitor for quarterback three in this class. Yep. Um, and in my opinion, he is quarterback three, in my opinion. Um, I know that will be different from other people, but he was damn good last year too. And he's putting people on alert as to how talented he is. And on the Oregon side, you got Bo Nix and you got Bucky Irving, who we just talked yep, about. And there are a bunch of other prospects we haven't even gotten to yet. Um, but um, this is a, this is a powerhouse Troy, game. Troy, Frank, Troy Franklin is our wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Bo Nix is a quarterback who's, I think in that tier of guys fighting for QB three, like he's slowed down on it, but I think he's in the tier. Um, but yeah, man, it's going to be a great game just as like a college football fan, but also as an NFL draft fan, man, this, this game is all of, of prospects. So, uh, so much fun. I want to yeah. watch that one. A hundred percent. I'm a little, I'll be honest. I'm a little upset. This is not a nighttime game. I love because I, I don't know about you guys. But I'm kind of a uh, I do stuff with with you know with the family like weekend stuff. My one game that goes uninterrupted throughout the weekend that I can watch in real time is that packed is that Pac-10 game at night. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of hoping this would be the yeah. Pac-10 night game. I could sit down and just sit quietly in my basement and watch. But it's going to be the three thirty games. You got to have to figure it out. It's okay. I'll put it on YouTube TV on my phone if I have to do stuff. Um, a couple of other games worth watching: um, Miami, UNC, yep. ACC battle. This would have been a more interesting game if Miami didn't shit the bed last week yeah. and uh, Mario Cristobal didn't didn't ruin yet another. He didn't snatch defeat from the jaws of victory for no reason whatsoever. Um, should have just downed the football. I don't know what you're thinking there, um, but it is still a good game. Mar- uh, Miami obviously has some pretty great prospects. We've already talked about um, UNC has potentially this well not potentially the number two quarterback two in this class and drake may mm-hmm. um so it should be a fun game and uh another game i think worth mentioning which is a seven thirty game is the annual old the old rivalry game usc at notre dame the other one I was gonna um yeah so you got caleb caleb williams top you know qb1 top prospect in this class in this game Bear Alexander, we didn't even touch on yep. him. Um, interior defensive lineman at USC is emerging as a top candidate. Who's pushed his way into that category of like somebody you should have to start looking at. Um, and then on Notre Dame, obviously, you talked about Estime. 
uh, Joe Alt, a few other prospects. Art, Hartman's going to get some another. looks at quarterback. Um, he'll get some Brock yep. Purdy comps. An, another, another guy who I thought about putting as my my guy, uh, Marshawn Lloyd from uh, USC. Mm-hmm. He, USC. He's been yeah. one of the biggest risers this year in college football. He has, he hits a lot of those numbers that we were talking about. I ended up not going into it, so I don't have those on me, but I recommend everybody look into Marshawn Lloyd. He is definitely a guy who could be a top five running back back end this year. So keep an eye on him as well for this game. All right. I think that's an episode. Um, So long, longer episode, but I think a fun one because we had a lot of giants have talked about and a lot of these prospects are running back or a lot of running backs. Um, So again, thank you guys for following, for listening, however you consume the product of our pod. Um, Once again, you can follow me at on Twitter at at Queens underscore guy. You can follow Monty at at Monte Cristo at M O N T E C R I five T O. You can follow at He's a Giant Pod. Um, and if you if you follow us and you like our content, please reach out to us. Tell us any input you guys have, good or bad. Let us know how we can improve the show. Like, subscribe, leave us five stars, the whole bit. Um, and we're going to keep going. Unfortunately for Giant fans, draft content is becoming more and more and more relevant by the day. So we're going to try to give you guys the best we can in terms of our evaluations. But otherwise, that's an episode, guys. We will see you next week. And go Giants. See you next week. Go Giants.